Hey, it's Luke, and you're listening to the Tea Talks podcast. Once a month, I invite people to come over to my house in Atlanta and have some friends give short talks on anything they find interesting. We sip on tea, eat Pop-Tarts, and cultivate a community of curiosity. These are those talks being recorded live in my living room with my friends. Hope you enjoy. I was acting like a girl and I was sending these snapchats of me looking like a girl to my close friends and they thought you were hot yeah they, they were like man like you're, you're kind of cute does this make you wish that you were a girl at times um I yeah just because you know I, I, it made me feel pretty yeah <laughs> 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 I was not ready for that question. Hey, it's Luke. And as you can tell from the title and length of this episode, it's a little off the beaten path of the typical short talk you can usually expect from the living room of my house. I'm viewing the steep sessions as somewhat bonus episodes, where I interview my friends who can't or don't necessarily want to give a talk at a live event in a room full of people. Or there are people who I just think have something to say that takes longer than your 15-minute tea talk. And one of those people is my friend, Jack Williams. Jack is 24 years old and lives in my hometown, McDonough, Georgia. Jack is great friends with my little brother, but like good brothers, we share more than clothes and mannerisms. We get to share friendships. And it's been a joy to have Jack as one of those friends. Jack is one of the funniest people I know, but has also gone through some of the most difficult things I've ever heard. I think this interview expresses both of those realities. And like you've probably heard me say before, I think life is best lived out in a balance of playfulness and seriousness, lighthearted and depth. So just a heads up for this interview, we navigate through that balance by Jack telling us about comical moments in his life, as well as gut-wrenching seasons. And through it all, Jack can't help but be a person I think we all want to be with a little bit more. So without further ado, here's me sitting down on my porch with my friend Jack Williams. All right, Jack. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Tea Talks podcast. Man, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm excited that you finally asked me to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited that you're here. So, when I think of you, Jack, um, you're a man with many stories, but one story that I just absolutely want you to share again for my own personal life, but also for the people listening, is can you please tell the people about the one time you protected your house? Absolutely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you made me recall this memory. I don't know I, if that's sarcasm or I, for real. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm being dead serious because it's it's a funny story. Um, so this was, I was, I'd say fif- 15 or 16. So several years ago. and I How old are you now? 24. Okay. Yep. I had just gotten home. It was on a Friday afternoon. My grandma had dropped me off. My brothers, they weren't there. Um, I don't know where they were exactly. I was home alone. And, you know, I jumped in the shower and, you know, keep in mind, I didn't lock the door back. I usually always lock the door back and set the alarm, but I didn't this time. I like, I let my dog out and then I let him back in. And so I get in the shower and, you know, I take a shower and then I get out and I hear the front door open. I, I hear the alarm like beep, letting me know that the front door opened. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, you know, there's nobody. No, I know nobody's supposed to be, like, home. Like, my parents are at work. My brothers, I knew that they weren't supposed to be home. So I was like, what's going on? Like, what? who, who is that? So as, as that's going on, as I hear the door open, like, I'm, like, I'd put, I'd halfway put a shirt on. And I go out there. I grab a gun an unloaded gun and it was just a small little 22 it would have really just made him mad if i shot him but i grabbed the gun just i guess to make it look like i was gonna shoot him wait i'm gonna stop you so you only put a shirt on i only had a shirt on right out of the shower so are you dripping wet at this point yeah because i wasn't thinking rationally and like i hadn't really dried my body off like my shirt was kind of wet after i put it back on but I just felt like it was more appropriate <laughs> if I was going to leave my room. I guess I should have put on boxers, but I just put a shirt on and <laughs> I'm naked. I'm dri- like dripping wet and I walk out of my room and I have this gun. 
Em- and which is empty. Which is empty. Not going to do anything, but maybe hit him with it. And I walk out of my room and like, I'm at the end of a hallway and then there's a living room like right like to the right of my room. And this dude is just standing there, just right like in, in my living room. And I look at him and I really like my brain wasn't expecting to see anything. So I didn't know how to react. So I look at him and I just kind of like, I'm like, huh. Like, I, that's the noise I make because I didn't know what to like. There were so many thoughts going through my brain. And it was the last thing that I thought I would see was be someone like literally standing in my living room. But he looks at me and sees that I'm naked and soaking wet and have a gun. And he runs out. <laughs> he runs out of the That's house. so great. And, you know, I call the police and the police come and they do a report. And, uh, yeah, I told him, I guess I didn't have to, but I told him anyways. I was like, I told the cops in their report. I was like, yeah, I was naked too. <laughs> <laughs> you included that in the report. I've never put that in the report. What was their face when but you said that to them? They were, it, it was a face of like, I didn't need to know that, but thanks for telling me. Yeah, like and they, they probably didn't want to laugh out of respect. Yeah. Of the, they the probably, hard they moment, probably thought it was. They probably went back and told their buddies over some donuts. <laughs> yeah, this dude was naked, dude. And did did the burglar when you made eye contact? Well, first of all, what was he doing in the house? Was he just like looking around and just standing there, or was he actually fiddling with stuff? No, he was just standing there, like looking around, like he was about to make a move, figure or, out what to take. Yeah, yeah. Because he only maybe had like from the time I heard him open the door and the time he saw me, maybe twenty or thirty seconds. And when y'all came out and you made eye contact, did his eyes go south of your shirt, or did they stay up at your eyes? <laughs> uh, he he maintained eye contact. Wow, yeah. bold move. That's bold, impressive. On it is very part. impressive, especially with someone a body like mine. I'm surprised. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's a great story. I love that. So, that's if you're listening to this, just that's a way to protect your home kids, is scare them with the empty gun, and just no clothes. If you're gonna choose one article of clothing. When you're dripping wet out of the shower to go protect your house, put on a shirt. Just put on a shirt. Put on a shirt and make sure you're kind of damp. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great word. So, Jack, the other day you text me, and you're a uh, a big music guy, but I just get a text randomly that says, yeah, this song slaps. Oh, God. And it's a song called Something Awful by the Dropout Kings. And then you said, wrong Luke, sorry, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> But you should still listen. So, Jack, I listened to it, <laughs> and I made it through the first part, and I was like, this is fine, and then entered the screamo part, yeah. and I had to stop it. So I'm I'm sorry I couldn't make it all the way through, but it does make me want to hear your take on what you've been listening to lately. So I listen to anything and everything but country. No, I listen to anything and everything. That song, that's a little bit more edgy. If uh, if you're listening to this, if you listen to this song um, by the Dropout Kings, I don't. I'm afraid it may paint a bad picture of what I look like to you if you don't already know me. But um, yeah, I listen to a lot of a lot of everything. Um, a friend had actually just sent me that song that day when I sent it to you, and I me- I meant to send it to uh, a friend of mine, Luke Cagle, but. I knew when I sent it to you, I was like, he's not going to like this music at all. <laughs> you're right. But there's other stuff that I know you're into that I've appreciated. Like, before we turn on the play button here, you heard prob- like literally less than one second of a 1975 yeah. song that was just playing on my computer that I before I when I closed it and then opened it. It was like less than a second. And you were able to call out the band and the song. So you're just yeah. very well educated in the music scene. Um, well, I appreciate that. But... I mean, I f- it's all a facade. I actually am clueless. You I'm, really don't know what you're doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. If I, I just if I like it, I'm gonna go with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that because I also do not like country at all. Um, but I can listen to most things except yeah. for country and screamo. So, mix those and you put me in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I can't imagine um, what country screamo would be like. <laughs> yeah, but you also have a passion for music, which you express that by being a drummer in a band called Correct. Jude. Um, yep, nice so, little plug. Yeah, could you tell the people, like, what's your elevator pitch to listen to Jude? Like, why should people check y'all out? Man, I'm biased, obviously, because, you know, it's music that I've helped create. But um, 
man i feel like i'm me and jesse jesse's a singer um we are we're, we're both heavily um influenced and inspired by just instrumental music and you know when you listen to music you can feel sometimes an, em- an emotional attachment or like you mm-hmm. feel it makes you feel some type of way and with our music this is my pitch with our music i feel like you know we focus a lot on the instrumentals and we we want to make it you want we want to make the listener feel something but you know we also have words with the song so we i don't know man i obviously think our music is good and i wouldn't get behind something that i thought was you know not good um but if you like rock music and you have some type of emotion in your in your body then (laughs) i think you'd really enjoy our music especially we got some new music coming out here it'll probably be in the fall for sure but we think um all the people it's a lot different than what we have out now but we think we think a lot of people will like it that's the plan anyways nice yeah i've always thought that really good art like the definition of art is to put like some tangible form around what people are thinking and feeling but couldn't express for themselves yeah so then you have artists that help people feel those emotions or think by the way they express things yeah it's your way of like when you hear a song it's like wow that makes me feel something that i couldn't express but that helps me express it so if you had to say that you want your listeners to feel some type of emotions then what would you want people to feel when they came to your show like Um, what specific emotions I want them to feel a few emotions. Um, I guess one of them is um, is nostalgia and emotion. Yes, yeah. Now there's certain songs or certain th- noises that I'll hear, and it's because I, I attach them to uh, certain memories. But um, I don't know. We want to make music that makes you think about a good time. Now, I don't know if that means that you'd have to be listening to our music when that you made that memory for it to relate, but I, you know, I just want people to feel like nostalgic and I also want people to feel excited or empowered or um, just really any good emotion, like no bad, no bad vibes, <laughs> just all really good, um, you know, excited, like we want people to be excited when they hear our music, like super, super excited and what that looks like to us is like having people obviously sing our songs with us when we're playing, but like have people just like, a, I just want to see a sea of people just jumping around, like with their hands in the air, like just in the moment, like right there. That's yeah. what, that's what I want. That's great. So yeah. What would you say then is your end game for playing in Jude as in, I, yeah, like I know y'all played in Athens and Atlanta and probably some other places, but what would you say is the end game? to make music pay for my bills nice. that's all i want is to wake up in the morning and like not like to wake up and be like okay like today i can focus on making this song or i can go play this venue and my mortgage is paid for so be taken care of yeah all the all that stuff's like paid for it's not even i don't want fame i don't want any of that i just want to do what i love and get paid enough to make do it for a living yeah. That's that's the end game. That's great. Well, speaking of end game, you said that Avengers was ruined by for you end game was ruined by Twitter. Twitter. Which brings me to the topic that I couldn't wait to talk about cuz people that know me know how I feel about social media. I think it's great, but I also think it's very destructive, but one thing I do miss for not being on social media for every year are your tweets jack and just the way that you love to stir the pot and you love to make people laugh at the same time so i've got a segment here where i actually pulled some tweets of yours and i want us to go through them and you explain to me what was going on at this time just defending your tweets hit me hit me with it first one june 6th i could be an a-list actor (laughs) (laughs) dude all right (laughs) so you don't have me on snapchat or do you have me on snap no i haven't been on snapchat in years all right, well, Snapchat recently released, um, like, they have those filters you can do. Yep. And they have this filter to where it makes you look like a girl, dude. And it's oddly, like, it looks, I'll show you after the podcast, dude, it looks weird. Like, it looks 
like when when my little brother did it i was like you you look kind of pretty like whoa <laughs> you look <laughs> you look pretty this is weird jack so you know i started using it and i was sending like i was adding like a girl and i was sending these snapchats of me looking like a girl to my close friends and they thought you were hot yeah they they were like man like you you kind of cute does this make you wish that you were a girl at times um i yeah just because you know i, I it made me feel pretty <laughs> 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 I was not ready for that question. Uh, it's the, the prettiest you've felt in a while, huh? Yeah, I just was batting my eyes at my camera, and That's I was like, "That's great, man." Now, keep going with that. How how did that get into acting? So I was just sending, like, I was talking like a girl, acting like one, and Wait, I just went further than just oh yeah pictures. Oh, this is going You're videos <laughs> to my homies. I sent them. Wow. I was like, "Man, I'm a." I look like I look good. I look kind of bad. I was sending like Snapchats, and I was like, "Man, I'm, I'm acting like a girl. Like I could be a good actor." Do you think that's the gateway for catfishing? Like, could did you ever think like oh, I maybe could, I could catfish someone if well, I keep this up? One hundred percent, I could get a dude from Alaska to fly to Atlanta and catfish You're 100% him. One hundred percent. One hundred percent, I could do that. What would your tactic be when you send them the picture of yourself where you think you're a good-looking Snapchat girl? Then how do you communicate to them? Well, you kind of small talk. You know, ask them. You know, got you got to be a geogra- geographically aware. You know, in Alaska. The sun can be up for six months, or the sun can be down for six months. So, so they're depressed. Yeah, see, get him in a hard season. See where he's at. If it's the sun is down season, easy. He's flying out instantly. <laughs> he's flying out to see, see some sunshine. Yeah, he's coming to Atlanta. Hit, maybe hit him with a voice when I'm talking <laughs> to him, like some Snapchats. Man, so you're gonna act your way, A-list actor. A-list actor. Catfish. Catfish, get, right. get getting dudes from Alaska. That's great. Let's let's hit the next tweet. This one was the one I was most concerned about. Here we go. May twenty fifth. This weather really makes me want to put socks on and jump in puddles <laughs> and then eat Starburst with some paper still on them. <laughs> Dude, I totally forgot I tweeted that. Alright, so let me explain to you the weather that was happening that day because I I don't think any weather on the face <laughs> of the planet will ever justify these words, but go ahead. Dude, it was it had just rained. And it's one of those rains to where it looks like this, like it's you know, the sun is out. It goes away, rain goes away, and then it just gets humid, dude. The asphalt mm. is like steaming. And I was working outside, dude, so I was like, This sucks. Like this makes me want to put socks on and step in puddles and eat starburst with paper on it like that's what i compared it to but it's that bad it's that bad because you know people it's people's made it a meme they're like people in georgia they're like the it's not the heat that'll get you it's the humidity, humidity yeah but that's tr- so true like right now it's it is i'm sweating humid a lot yeah it's, yeah it's we're, humid right this, now. we're recording this on my screen and porch so yeah i i honestly still don't understand that connection um as in, unless you're just saying the weather is so sucky that this, this, if I were to do this action, put socks on, jump in puddles, eat Starburst with wrappers on them, it, that's also sucky. I would feel the same. The suckiness is the same. Like, okay. That makes, okay. That's yeah. great. That makes sense. Yeah. And you're a weatherman. Like you're, you're a weather boy. I am a uh, weatherman. I want to talk about that too is something I miss on Twitter is you and Glenn Burns have a relationship, which Glenn Burns is tell the listeners who, who that is for us. Glenn Burns, know. chief meteorologist of Atlanta, WSB TV. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's him. And y'all have a relationship. Can you talk me through that on like one, why you enjoy weather if it's serious or if it's like your bit and two, why Glenn Burns and how's that relationship been going? Well, I love weather because you know, there's so many things in, in life that we can control or we can avoid or, you know, change. But, you know, say when a hurricane's coming, nobody's, set, nobody's sitting there saying, all right, let's just, we're going to be fine. Let's just tell this hurricane to go this way. No, nah, you're moving. Like, you're leaving because it's such a powerful storm and you can't do anything about it. I'm fascinated by weather because, you know, it, storms can change 
storms could be created so fast and it's it's very mesmerizing um and glenn burns i i actually met glenn burns oh i didn't know that i met him i was probably in eighth grade and i'd been watching you know i was such a geek in high school i watched the weather like every day i was watching the weather and i'd always see him and then i finally got to meet him and then i got on twitter and for a while i felt like we were talking back and forth like once a week yeah i was amazed by it and like one time we talked about aliens another time we talked about some thunderstorm that was happening or okay some- thunderstorms make sense how did you get to aliens with glenn burns uh so i forgot what he tweeted this is like in 2014 or 15 i forgot what he tweeted but basically it was along the lines of i know what it was they found uh, water or something on Mars. Yes. And, you know, on Earth, there's bacteria and all water and bacteria is live. So when he tweeted something about that and we started going back and forth and, yeah, it was very, very random. But, um, yeah, I wish I wish he followed me back. Mm, yeah. We're um, working on it. I just I just want him to like to see me again. I miss him. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that it's a one sided relationship or that he actually appreciates you? I like to think that he appreciates me. I like to think that as well. Yeah. yeah, we'll stick with that. And the last one that I wanted to bring up, April 28th. Some people aren't weird enough. What do you mean by that? I feel like so many people, especially in today's culture and and the times, that people have images of what cool is. And so they try to, to do that, to try to be that. When really it's not, and if they were just to be themselves, even if it's weird, like, the like I think it's cool that you had popped hearts at when y'all have tea talks. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so, like I don't know what about that is weird, but that's kind of weird. But I appreciate that because, you know, it would be very basic of you to get like cheese and crackers or something. But, like, Pop-Tarts is weird. And I feel like if people were to just do what they want to do without feeling the pressure of, you know, social norms, mm-hmm. um, it'd be weird. But so what? Like, that's weird is cool. Like, that's what makes people people. Yeah. What do you think is it, like, that pressures people to follow just the norms? Um, definitely acceptance. You know, everybody wants to be accepted. Um some people say, "Oh, I don't need acceptance." Well, you're like you're lying because I mean everybody everybody wants to be accepted, regardless of who it's from. But I think it's a lot of that, and I think social media has, you know, people never post their bad days or they never post. They post like everybody. If you go to Coachella, everybody's gonna post the same picture. Everybody's just so cookie cutter, you know. I mean, if if being yourself is is some is normal, then that's fine. But I just feel like a lot of people struggle with being comfortable with themselves and being okay with the fact of people like thinking that they're weird or anything like that. Yeah. So something I'm passionate about that I was thinking of when you're talking about that is the rising rates, especially in our country, of like loneliness, anxiety, and depression. And do you think that is because, like, it does have to do with managing your image um, in particular ways, like, for the sake of belonging, like, not actually pursuing things that you're passionate about or interested in, but just what you're told you should be passionate about or interested in for the sake of fitting in? Yeah, I think, um, I definitely think there's a correlation between depression or suicide rates, you know, things like that, and you know, the use of social media, um, or the, the, the insatiable desire to like be accepted because, you know, I feel like, you know, people, they're only going to post, you know, and I, I feel like everybody has heard this, but people are only going to post the good stuff on Instagram. And, you know, you see like someone's having an awesome trip or has an awesome job. But what you don't see is, you know, the day-to-day crap that they're having to deal with. But 
that's all you can see is the good and so you're kind of you start comparing it and I, this is how i am and i have to you know fight it a lot but you know i always i'll see pictures of friends i went to school with that have graduated with me and we're supposed to be on the same like pace or same track mm-hmm. and you know i didn't go to school after after i graduated so you know some kids went to school and then i started seeing everybody graduate college and then get jobs i'm like man like i'm really screwing up like i don't i don't know where my life is headed and it's because i wouldn't have that thought of unless it was for social media yeah unless you could see everyone else's yeah so clearly. because i'm doing fine i'm doing me i'm you don't and you know then i see people post these pictures and it makes me feel like i should be doing something like that too yeah when really it's just it's not it's not like that at all but it is it can be damaging because it, it'll make you you know get in your head a lot and think you know am i good enough am i doing enough and like things like that yeah so yeah i completely agree and when you're talking it reminded me of a a book i'm currently reading called the second mountain by david brooks and i recommend everyone listening to read this it's incredible but he's talking about how individualism is like crushing us as a country and how we all need belonging and meaning yeah but how it's like easy for us to just kind of take our own um, pride in our individual individualistic selves and a lot of that does happen through social media and then um, so many other factors of like, yeah, just being told what you should or like having expectations placed on you by comparing yourself to people around right. you in any regards of life. And that's just always going to be a struggle. But um, and then he when he talks, he is talking about how that's a reality for our country, especially like people in their 20s and then. I read a line in there when he was talking about depression, loneliness, anxiety, suicide rates. And then he also talked about how every year um, we have been seeing around 70,000 people die also from opiate usage. And when I read that, I was um, I thought of you, Jack, because you've like been open with me about talking through that, how that's been a reality for you. So. I wanted to hit on that since um, we talked before and how you said you like to share about it. Um, like, basically, I would love to start with what led you to, like, we've talked about this at lunch before we started recording. Yeah. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to be depressed or I want to be using or I want to be in or I want to be divorced or commit this or yeah, it's nothing. like it's a process. So could you like share with us like how it started for you? Yeah. So, um. With me, it was, um, the start was very innocent. Uh, you know, I broke my ribs. Um, I had a family member who she was giving me leftover uh, Percocets that she had for a surgery. Completely innocent. At this time, we were both ignorant to the fact that, you know, and nobody knows they're a, a, an addict or that they have an addictive personality like that until until something like what happened to me happens. So she was giving me these pills for pain. And at the time, I was not I was not abusing them. They were helping me. But then about a month goes by and I started taking like two, like two or three Percocets. And I just because they felt just because yeah just because i started like i realized i liked the feeling of them Mm -hmm. like i liked how it made me feel made me gave me more because i'm not a very confident person and it gave me uh like a like a confidence a false confidence and you know my anxiety went away i felt like i could talk to anybody and you know my family members the pills ran out so i was like okay like that's fine like i wasn't i wasn't like fiending for them like then then about a month or two goes by and um i start like i'm like man i like that those pills like made me feel good like i liked mm-hmm. how those made me feel and so i, I found a a plug for him found a drug dealer how'd um, you, yeah how'd you go about finding that finding him well you know drug abuse is a slow fade so it's not like i all of a sudden started using uh oxycontin like i had I knew where to go to buy, whether it was, whether I was wanting to buy weed or buy whatever it was I wanted to buy, I knew where to get it. And whoever has, 
whoever is selling weed usually has just about anything else that you want. So I knew where to go. And so I, I, you know, I got the plug and I got his number and started buying, uh, Roxy's Roxy cotton. And if, you know, most people don't know what Roxy's are, but Roxy's are basically, so you got Percocets, which is 10 milligrams of Oxycontin and 325 milligrams of Tylenol. And then Roxycontin is gets abused so often because it's just Oxycontin. There's no mm. fillers. Yeah. And um, so I started buying those, and they're expensive. It's it, the way the prices go. It was a dollar a milligram, so they were thirty milligrams. So one pill was thirty dollars. And I remember I would I would take I was probably taking two a day, and wow. I was swallowing them, and you know I was functioning. I still had money. I wasn't. My life wasn't out of control. But it changed like that changed like within three or four months is when I was like really like bad off on it. And, you know, I had this image in my head. I was like, you know, as long as I don't as long as I don't like crush him up and start snorting him, I'm not addicted. I'm not a junkie. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after the high of me swallowing him kind of went away and I started snorting him. I was like, okay, as long as I don't get it, needles and start banging it up my arm, I'm not a junkie. And then, lo and behold, that starts happening. And, you know, it was just small justifications. That, and I had this picture in my head of what a junkie was. And as long as I didn't, you know, do this certain thing, I wasn't that. But it was just, I was just lying to myself. And... You know, before I knew it, I was spending all my money on drugs. I was um, hardly going to work because I was afraid if I went to work, I'd get dope sick because I didn't have time to go get drugs earlier that day. Um, it was affecting my social life. Like, my friends knew something was wrong. Nobody knew. Yeah. Like, nobody at all knew. My parents had no idea. The only person that maybe had a, a small idea based upon how I was acting was Jesse just because he and I are so close. Um, yeah. So nobody, you think at this time, like a few months in when you knew your life was like very different, you think nobody still knew what was going on. They just thought something might've been off. Something like people definitely knew something was off, but, um, I've struggled with anxiety and depression for a while. So, you know, some people, you know, hindsight is 2020. And when Jesse found out, he was like, that makes so much sense, you know, but in the heat of it, you know, what are you going to, you know, you're not going to go up to someone and say, hey, dude, are you on drugs? Because yeah. there's no reason to. Um, How would you have felt if somebody would have asked that? I would have loved them. I would have loved them, dude. It like, would good. Just because it's hard for me. Like, the, the first thing a junkie has to do is to be honest with themselves. And, you know, if someone were to ask me, you know, what's up? Like, are you, are you on drugs? Like, what's going on? It would have made me like stop and made me realize the reality of people. Like I'm affect, I'm really am affecting other people's lives, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. So it just, it was a very, very slow fade into a a dark, hopeless pit. And you know, your drug dealer never says, "Hey, one day uh, you're gonna get so addicted to this that you're, you know, gonna be, you know, contemplating suicide." You know during the addiction you're just so focused on the high yeah that you know when that finally catches up to you when you know using every day and stealing doing whatever you can you know i went to so many pawn shops dude i was selling all my stuff i would sell i sold my freaking computer i sold i, st I stole some things i i did a lot of things that i really regret and it all found me out and you know i'm grateful that you know i'm not in jail for the things i've done uh because you know I, I was a kleptomaniac for a while because i was doing anything i could possibly do to get drugs and it just made my life a living hell and i hated it but you know i would remember i'd have conversations with myself as i was driving to go pick up some pills i was like man like this i don't have very much money and if i spend all this money i'm gonna be broke but 
I just I just felt like I had to have it. Yeah. I, I can't explain it other than I just felt like I had to have it in my system. Yeah, like when you first started, like you said, it was very innocent of just someone trying to genuinely help you. Yeah. With by giving you painkillers and so then you experienced the high that you could get and liked it, but so when you kept using like what did you find to be the triggers of when you're like, dang, I really need need it right now. Um, any social event, any social just for confidence, yeah, just aspect. for, yeah, because I'm very, um, I wouldn't, I don't think insecure is the word for it, but I'm, sh- I'm kind of shy and I just, it made me feel like I was more, I'm more taught. Like my, I remember my brother, you know, he told me when I got off, he's like, yeah, like, I mean, I knew something was up because you're not very talkative. And when you were high, you were very talkative. It makes me just very social, maybe very. It gave me a false sense of confidence. Um, you know, I remember I went on a date with a girl and I just felt like I couldn't, like I was late to the date because I just, I was trying to buy drugs because mm. I felt like I couldn't be, over, like I couldn't, like the best version of myself I felt was with, when I was high. Yeah. So I just felt like I, like I was late to so many things just because I was waiting on drugs because I felt like it would make it better or it would make me, you know, appear a certain way or just give me confidence yeah and it was all just a lie i just kept lying to myself and kept you know just taking myself further down mm-hmm. when you were talking about um like driving to going to get drugs and you you had the thought like man what am i doing don't have any money if i do this and um could you talk about that tension of like also having the head knowledge of knowing that this is like dis- like destroying you like destructive but at the same time feeling like you had to have it like that tension that war within you has to be like just brutal it's um yeah dude I, and i don't want to sit here and make it seem like you know i'm some tough dude who's been through a lot cuz there's people who are way worse than than i was but the to know the facts and to know that this isn't good and that it's not going to get any better unless I get help and that this could be fake pills. This could kill me. This could be fentanyl to know all those things and to have logical truth to back them up, but to totally ignore them because you felt like you have to have them is in like, it's insanity. Like I felt like an insane person because I was like, man, like I really shouldn't do this. Like I really, really should not do this. But something in me, like, just, I just had made me feel like I had to have it. Yeah. And a lot of it becomes, a lot of it's because, you know, the, the chemicals and, you know, the, whether, whether, I don't know if, you know, whoever's listening to this, what your opinions are on addiction and whether or not you think it's a disease. But, um, you know, I personally, I don't want to victimize myself, but I, I, from how it's made me feel, I feel like it, it is like an actual disease. Um, but, you know, I just felt so addicted to it because of that aspect, but also because I was so scared to go through opiate withdrawals because it's so, I remember reading it before I like finally quit. I was reading about it and, you know, people were saying that it's horrible and it's one of the worst, besides Xanax, like it's one of the worst drugs to withdraw from because, I mean, it's it's synthetic heroin. That's all it is really. Mm-hmm. And I was so scared to do it, but I mean, you know, it last, it didn't last maybe a week or two of the symptoms, but you know, it's to, to know what you were saying, to know I shouldn't do this Mm -hmm. and to know that it's going to screw myself over and to still do it. It's a frustration that I can't really explain. Like it's cause I don't know, like no, I feel like some people may perceive a drug addict as selfish. I mean, drug addicts are selfish, but I feel like they perceive them as just people that don't want help or people that aren't trying when that's not true at all. It's just like the drugs just really have, it's all consuming and you just feel like you have no other choice and you feel like you'd be better off either dead or you just have to have someone to like literally sit you down and be like, yo, like either, like you just need like to, to be real with you and ask you, you know, what's going on. Like, 
go to rehab or something like that. I remember I went to rehab. I told when I told my parents, um, the day of I was a day and a half or two days clean or something like that. I was hanging out. At, I spent the night at Jesse's house, and I was going through withdrawals, and it was it was so bad. Like I, I remember Jesse asking if I was all right, and I was just telling him I was sick. What's that like? Like what do you say when you're saying go through withdrawals? Like what is that actually? You're like? super anxious. You get sweats. It's I mean you're you're sick. I mean you really are sick, and you're sick because your body, your and your organs have it's grown a chemical dependency to the oxycontin mm-hmm. to where it needs to have it and that's the that's the most that's the, like such an evil thing about it is because you're doing this drug to get high and then all of a sudden you're doing this drug not to get sick mm-hmm. like you're not even getting high from it at, at you know after a point and yeah you're just the dope sick is just like you're super anxious depressed you're sweaty you feel horrible um so it's crazy it's like amplified things that you're running from exactly like the you're running from yeah. that's why you take the pills and then to get off of them it just amplifies it amplifies those. it by tenfold and it's 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 hell on earth and i wouldn't i wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy uh but but, but um so how long did you use about how long about a year and now you have I mean, been about a year clean about a year clean like that's yeah. amazing that's so great and yeah. So, like, what was the, what when you said you just needed somebody to sit down with you and like offer help, or like to hit an ending point? Like, what was that for you? Like, when, where did help come from, and like when was it? Um, I remember, I was in my car. It was in, my, it was broke down. I couldn't fix it because I didn't have any money, and you know, I was, I like I was so exhausted of like just always being focused on like getting pills and just getting my fix and like where like being scared I wouldn't be able to you know have it and I just remember I was in my car and I was like literally contemplating I was like man if I don't want to not do drugs like I don't want to stop doing drugs because I know the withdrawal but I know if I keep doing drugs I'm gonna just end up dead like I'm either dead or just homeless or just living a life that I don't want to live and you know I've struggled a lot with depression and anxiety but um that night I was that's one of the only nights that I've really like considered you know killing myself um because it was such a dark I just felt so hopeless and it felt like to get to the other side of it I still had to go through withdrawals and still had to go through all this other like rehabilitation and all this other crap and you know i don't know why i don't really i couldn't really tell you why i i didn't end it all that night i'm glad i'm obviously glad i didn't um i guess the the tipping point is just i came i was just so tired like i was so exhausted of doing everything i could just to get drugs going to pawn shops and doing all this stuff selling like all my stuff to to get drugs and you know i'm so glad i did and it's made me you know we talked about this earlier at lunch but it's made me really appreciate you know being at rock bottom and then coming and then being where i'm in now it makes me appreciate you know everything in life whether it's whether it's food or being on this podcast or like small things stupid things I appreciate it all because I think, you know, what if I would have killed myself? I wouldn't be able to enjoy this. I wouldn't be able to, like, be here today to to watch the sunset or whatever it is. And I know it just got super deep, but I feel like it's important for people to know that uh, whether if you're listening to this and you, if you have a drug problem or if you have something that it's eating you alive, like it's, there's there's freedom in telling somebody and and letting go of whatever it is and you know because life it life is hard and it's only harder if you you don't like reach out to get help yeah for sure no thank you so much for sharing jack like i've told you this earlier like how proud i am of you but i know people listening probably who will never meet you or don't know you like 
are probably uh, very proud as well to hear like your openness with it now, but also like a year of being clean and just fighting that hard fight. Um, but I like what you just said for like providing help, but how would you encourage people to, um, I guess for us to be a people that are like helpful to create spaces where people feel like they could ask for help, if that makes sense. Like there's so many people dealing with anxiety and depression or, and like using for it. And like you kind of said throughout your story, wanting to be approached by someone or wanting to be found out almost. Yeah. Um, how would you like encourage people to create spaces where that actually happens? You know, I think it's really important to, to watch how you react to certain things, whether it's, someone telling you something they're going through or someone's telling you something they did um because you know they might before they told before whatever it is they told you they may feel like it's a really bad thing or it's a really it's a thing that they could be judged for but if you react in ways to where like what you said earlier like to where someone can tell you anything and you not act shocked or act like whoa like no way Mm -hmm. I think that's huge because, you know, with me, it's it was hard for me to be open about my drug addiction and the things I did because I feel like so many people would rather be sh- like surface level. And I think to create a safe space to talk about things like this, it's important to watch how, I guess, just really just what I just said earlier, uh, how how you react to certain things and, and, you know, I guess just be as casual as you can about certain things Mm -hmm. because some people may think that that's wrong, but I think if you can approach anything with, you know, well, it could be a huge deal, but if you approach it with, you know, this is not that big of a deal or this is not that huge, it could make that person, you know, feel like they can be more honest with themselves and with you. Because, I mean, being beating around the bush or, you know, not being honest with yourself is just a waste of time because we're all people. We've all done really bad things, whether whether it's lying or whatever it is. We, some of us have done more than others, but, you know, we've all screwed up. So there's no there's no reason to make it seem like you haven't, you know, done things you regret or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, something I want to close with is one of my favorite things about you is I think you do an awesome job of getting excited watching people do the things that they're great at. Like you get very excited to see people express their talent and enjoy it. Yes. Um, could you hit on that? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I like, I get excited when I see someone do what they're, what they love doing because I know what they feel like. I know what they're feeling because when I get behind a drum set and I'm playing my songs, I know how I feel. And when I see like my, whether it's my little brother doing film or whatever it is, when I see someone doing something that they're passionate about, like I can almost feel what I feel when I play drums because Mm. I can see them doing what they're here to do. Like, and I see them getting excited and it makes me excited because I'm like, okay, like I'm not the only one who gets this excited over doing something yeah. like this. Um, it's like contagious almost. Yeah, it's it's very contagious for me just to see someone enjoy doing something that they're passionate about. It really gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. You said this that you uh, well, you heard me say this on how I love tea talks for the sake of at the live events. I love a mixture of silly and serious. Yeah. And it might not be silly as in like goofy, but I mean like playful, lighthearted fun. Right. And then a mixture of serious depth. Mm-hmm. So thank you for practicing that here now. Oh, we, yeah. It was from naked burglaries to opiate over addictions. addictions. <laughs> I mean, all over the place. Covered a ton of ground. <laughs> so thanks so much for chatting with me, Jack. Enjoyed it. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. That means a ton. And I hope Jack sharing a story really made an impact on your life that last. And we have our next event tonight, actually, June 25th at 8 p.m. 
So you can go ahead and grab your ticket in the show notes. And we're going to close out the show by letting you guys hear a song by Jack's band, Jude. This song is called Wake Up, but you can check out more of their stuff wherever you get your music. But I hope to see you tonight. Until then, stay curious, friends. I know you hear my cry I see you in the night But all I feel is the wind on my skin My demons, they know my name They play me like a game Where all my love is a dream A dream Wake up my love again I'm holding up my hand The water is rising quick There's no So many times I 